Hey y'all, welcome back to New Slang. I'm music journalist Thomas Mooney, and on this episode, I'm joined by Caleb Lee Hutchinson. Caleb's one of these young, rising country songwriters to keep an eye on. He released an excellent EP back in September called Slot Machine Syndrome. It was produced by Brent Cobb, and as you would expect, it's a real keeper. If you haven't checked it out yet, go give it a listen. For being just five songs long, he does cover a lot of territory. That first song, it's called Who I Am. It's kind of Caleb's unofficial, official artist statement, if you will. It harkens back to a little bit of that outlaw movement. And of course, when someone like Brent Cobb is involved, you get these real rootsy country down home moods and feelings. And so there's plenty of that on this EP as well. And when you have a booming country southern draw like Caleb, you utilize it. So there's some really powerful country crooning moments as well. He's been living in Nashville for a minute now, and you can tell he's finding his camp of like-minded folks who want to write country songs with narrative, soul, and meaning and depth. Hell, as I've mentioned a few times, Brent Cobb, he produced the latest project. We talk about navigating Nashville songwriter rooms, falling in love with country music that has that depth and emotional weight, how folks like Brent Cobb have been mentoring voices, and of course, we do a good amount of dissecting the songs of Slot Machine Syndrome. All right, just a few housekeeping notes before we get started. I'll make it super quick. One, The Lubbock Way, my debut book, is out and available for order. This first edition of the book has been going really, really quick, so be sure to get yourself a copy. I say first edition because this first one, I only printed 806 copies. They're all numbered. And of course, 806 is the nod to the area code in which the panhandle is, is located. The Lubbock Way is about a small, bustling window of time here in Lubbock, where artists like Flatland Calvary, Randall King, and Red Shahan, they're all grinding away, making names for themselves. Folks like William Clark Green and Josh Abbott, they were adjusting to larger, bigger circles. And hardcore troubadours like Brandon Adams, Charlie Stout, and Wade Parks, they were still guiding the way of the Lubbock songwriter. It's currently in the New Slang merch store. Also, there are t-shirts, koozies, coffee mugs, and a bunch of other stuff that you can order and hopefully dig. We'll be back to regular scheduling over here at New Slang, which means two episodes a week for the most part. I have a bunch of great ones in the can and on the docket, which means if this is your first time listening, be sure to hit that subscribe button. We're available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and essentially anywhere that you can listen to podcasts. For even more new slang content, go give a like, follow, etc. on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Three, be sure to also check out our presenting partners over at Desert Door and the Blue Light Live. I'm doing these next couple of episodes ad-free, so go give them some love by giving them a like and follow as well. And for all those links that I've just mentioned, they will be in the show notes. All right, let's get on into it. Here is Caleb Lee Hutchinson. the uh yeah don't overthink it yeah just uh just the free flow just let let it let it all out here um <laughs> i guess baby i'm lucy i'm lucy goosey we're all good <laughs> well yeah um i guess you know like i, I always kind of start these off with what were what what you just released um you just released a, a new ep just a couple of weeks back and yeah yeah, I mean, this this new project right here, I, I think, like, let's just start off with the fact that you you worked with Brent Cobb on it as far as yeah. you know, him being the producer. Um, I know you guys are both Georgia guys, but what, mm-hmm. what's the uh, – what? how did you end up meeting Brent and, like, end up him being kind of the, the guy that you wanted to work with as far as him, you know, taking the, the producing lead on the, the project? Yeah, man, I, uh, I met – Brent, uh, just kind of by luck and happenstance and not being afraid to, um, ask for unrealistic things. Like I, I first, when I first moved to Nashville, um, realized we both belonged to like the same management company. And, uh, so I just told them that I wanted to write with Brent Cobb and that he was like one of my favorite writers ever. And, uh, you know, then one day I got the, the faithful email, we were going to do it and, 
dude, it was it was just crazy. I've been a fan of Brent for a long time, and like I was singing that dude's songs in high school, so it was pretty pretty surreal for me. And like I met him and probably embarrassed myself, but you know he's just kind of he just kind of is how everyone would assume he is. He's real laid back, and he and I got along really well. Like we we first met up to to ride and everything, but we probably spent an hour or two even just kind of sitting around and talking about music and you know i'm not good at many things i don't know many things but i know like a stupid amount about music uh so i think that was enough for him to uh you know be willing to to at least be able to buy into the idea that i know what i'm talking about a little bit and you know i I saved up my best ideas and tricked them into thinking that i know how to write a song (laughs) And, you know, the rest, the rest is history. And then we, we started writing, wrote a couple more times. And he's like, dude, how many songs do you need? I'm like, like I got plenty. I just, I just need someone to produce them for me. I said, you know, you feel free to do it anytime. Just kind of joking because he hadn't done it beforehand. He's like, yeah, man, I'm down. And yeah, I mean, it was really just kind of, I didn't, I didn't know. He, he said it. I wasn't sure if he was real about it or not. And then. They reached out and said, you know what, when you want to do it. And I, I really just felt super honored because, you know, I, I, I was his first, um, first production thing, you know, and you never forget your first. <laughs> no one yeah. can take that away from me. <laughs> yeah. That's so interesting right there. As far as, you know, you, as you kind of said right there, the, um, you just ask you know, um, yeah. people, the worst that can be said is no, or just, you know, ignored. And that's, you know, there's that outside yeah. chance, that chance of them saying, yeah, sure, whatever. Yeah, let's do it. And, you know, that's, that's the way I kind of feel whenever, you know, as, as a journalist, who's, you know, looking to, to do interviews, a lot of times it's like yeah. blind emails to people <laughs> and like the worst they can do is just say no. And if you don't say yeah. it, you're already saying no to yourself. So, or if you tweet about Jason is and try <laughs> to get him, get him on you. Oh, I know. That's the. Uh, there's a couple people who took that the wrong way. Like that, I was actually, um, <laughs> like I was actually not a fan of Jason. Um, but whatever yeah. works, you know. <laughs> if you got to start a war, then start it. Yeah. <laughs> One thing is for certain, he is on Twitter. If there I don't know of a better medium to reach out to him. Yeah. There there is like I, I have and this is probably something that no one really ever actually knows. I have like DM'd back and forth with him a few times and actually do have his email. Um like, but it's one of those like where I'm like, ah, I don't know if I should reach out to him. I'll go the, the right route, but you know, yeah. if we if we need to. Yeah, dude, absolutely. I, I, it's, it's funny, dude, because like I got, I got people like even Brent. You know, like I consider him a friend. He considers me a friend. I still get nervous like reaching out to him. Like he'll call me and it'll be real casual, and I'm like, oh my god, Brent Cobb's calling me. Yeah, that's that's the. It's almost like the the time that you're away from someone like that who you know they respect you and they you know that they enjoy your company and all that kind of stuff but the time that you're away it's like like you're just like second guessing how you get back into that spot where you're in the same room you know what i mean um because you do you feel like there's that little bit of like oh man am i just going to be bothering them am am i just a an annoyance am i that yeah. that dude that he kind of goes like whenever you know the the your name pops up and you know he's in front of people and he goes oh god this guy's calling me again or something you know what I mean yeah but you you have to like work past all that to to realize yeah, that it's that's not typically the case yeah there's the other side of it I mean I'm I'm sure there's many many relationships out there and friendships that could have been a lot stronger but somebody was like oh I don't want to reach out to him I don't want to annoy him. The other guy's thinking, well, this guy never reaches out to me, so he must not—he must not like me. Yeah, exactly. The yeah, there's a lot of power in uh, not not being too worried about what people think, mm-hmm. and well, you know, like asking for all the asking for stuff, like, hey, I want to write with Brent Cobb, and you know, going, hey, I'm going to call him, like he gave me his number, 
if, if he don't regret it now, we'll, we'll make it happen. We'll make him regret it later. <laughs> well, I was going to ask that right there. Is it easier to go into a right, maybe like not knowing who that other person is, not knowing, like not being super incredibly familiar with their, their catalog, or is it easier kind of, you know, uh, riding with someone who you're familiar with, but like, you know, you're, you're maybe a little bit nervous beforehand, but as you kind of said, you were kind of collecting all your, your good ideas to, to approach him with. Yeah. I think, I mean, I really, I think it depends how you want to look at it. Like I've definitely, I knew, I knew the type of song that I wanted to write with Brent Cobb, you know? And like, uh, there's a song on there I wrote with Trey Hensley. And like, I've been a massive fan of Trey for a long time. So I knew that I wanted like a really cool, you know, something, something I could hear him like flat pick on. Um, but you know, I've, I've gone into rights with people where I didn't know what their style was, what their whole vibe was. And we made something really cool. Um, but you know, there's, it's a trade off cause there's been lots of times where, you know, they'll just, they might give me a Google or whatever and, and just kind of assume that I'm going to, you know, make a certain type of music. And I'm like, hey, actually, this is the kind of stuff I like. These are my influences. It's a lot. It's a lot easier. Um, arguably, it's a lot easier writing with people when you know you kind of have shared interests and opinions and tastes. Um, with that being said, I've wrote with dudes uh, where they don't typically write the kind of song that we've written together, and I've loved it. You know. So I think it just depends. Yeah. I think like the, the co-writing thing is so interesting because um, as I've told a, a few people is like, you know, especially when it's, it's a situation where you maybe casually know each other. Um, it's like the quickest way to like make, I guess like a friendship or a bond at least because you're typically going over, you know, really, really intimate details about life and you're kind of like, yeah. you know, pouring out all these secrets and, um, you know, what your real thoughts on, on stuff. And you may do that over the course of two hours that would maybe a a regular organic friendship would take, you know, weeks or months to, to even get to that subject. You know what I mean? Yeah, dude. I, I think like being not forced, but having to co write and, you know, write with people on a personal level has made me, you have to get more comfortable being vulnerable with people and that definitely wasn't something I was super uh, into beforehand. You know, I kind of kept my, my, you know, what I thought were my deep thoughts to myself and just kind of joked around with everybody else. But, you know, you definitely have to get vulnerable with people if you're doing it correctly, you know. Or you can just go in there and go, you know, I really like beer. We should do another song about that. <laughs> That's a little, a little hard, probably. Uh, what the world needs now is just one more song about beer. Yeah. Just the, uh, yeah, man. <laughs> it's about time someone does it, you know? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Next record, just, you know, 10 beer songs. I'm, that's, I mean, plenty of people do that right now. And ironically, so I, <laughs> it works. Yeah. Well, you know, like this EP here, I enjoy a brew. What, what was that? I said, I enjoy a brew. Yeah, as, as do I, yeah. Um, I mean, it's always, what I always kind of say is it's time and place, right? There's a, a a song works depending on the place and the time. And, you know, as as far as like, of course, I, I love songs that are what I think most would consider highbrow, you know, some some mm-hmm. some deep stuff. But, you know, I think all of us need a, just like that Bud Light every once in a while. You know? Dude, yeah. You can't be drinking I mean- IPAs every fucking day. And I'm not really an Bro, IPA guy, but you know you what I'm can't saying. Listen, you can't listen back to our boy Isbell. You can't listen to Elephant on a pontoon boat. You know what I'm saying? Like, you can't go on a fishing trip and listen to Last of My Cat. It'll be, a, or you, you can just cry into the lake, I guess. Um, which, don't get me wrong, I, half the reason I listen to music is to cry. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's that in the notebook that keep me grounded emotionally. Um, you know, but I agree, man. I, I don't, I don't hate on anything at all. Like I, I love, I think everything, if it has an audience and like people are getting something out of it, I respect it. Uh, with that being said, 
I've definitely walked into one too many co-writes where they're like, I got this crazy idea. Picture a small town. I'm like, oh yeah, man, that's wow. That's really creative. (laughs) (laughs) If I don't tell them how small my town is, how will they know? (laughs) Yeah. Well, that's the, yeah. I always love, uh, everyone's definition of what a small town is too, because, I feel like I grew up in a small town and that was like 8,000, but yeah, I got a buddy who like, I grew up in a small town and I graduated with five people and you're like, okay, well that's actually real small. Okay. Yeah, man. It's like, I grew up, you know, kind of what is now technically like a suburb of Atlanta. Like as a kid, it was so much smaller than it is now. And even now, like when I go home, I just kind of walk around going, who are these people? So I kind of got to see it all change um which is like cool and, and a little bit sad but yeah man it's like my, my girlfriend same same thing like I think most of the people i went to high school with consider it to be like small town and you know everybody like we all went to school with each other elementary through high school and everything and then my girlfriend graduated with like 15 people and you know, you know but she like she's from the midwest and her whole town was kind of just like within so many blocks we're all kind of spread out down here mm-hmm. you know what's weird about the the towns that are that that blow up and are getting so many more people is like i'm not against that obviously but what i hate is that when they when they grow so fast like it's all just the the same generic fronts it's all like the same pizza hut and dollar general and walmart and yeah. and, and it just all looks the same like if you you can like take all those buildings and put them out here in Texas, and they would you couldn't tell the difference, you know. That's how you know it's coming. They start shutting down the Piggly Wigglies, and then where once was an open field, there's now a dollar, and that's when you know a storm's coming. Yeah, the, the, <laughs> once I don't yeah. know how random Dollar Generals have just popped up in what used to be fields. Yeah, that's how it is out here in Lubbock, where you know, like there's a bunch of cotton fields all around Lubbock. Um, and before there's the, the, uh, you know, new, uh, neighborhood development before there's like any kind of, it can be like a dirt road. And then like all of a sudden there'll be a dollar general there one day and you're like, okay, well, <laughs> yeah, man, well, here's where the city's going. But you know, now, now you got a place to shop. So there you go. Yeah. I will say though, I, um, not to go off too far on this dollar general store. Uh, story. Oh, I encourage. But I've been wanting to talk about it. You want to hear a dollar Let's general? Story? Okay, so a couple years back, um, Garth Brooks released a vinyl box set on um, to like Walmart, but also to Dollar General, and it's like five of the the record or four or five of the records from the '90s, and maybe like a live record or something like that. And I didn't know about yeah. it until just probably four or five months ago, and. Um, I'd seen something happen on Twitter where BJ Barham was talking about it. And so then I was like, well, fuck. And then we start looking at these dollar generals. And that day I go and like, look, and there's, I can't find this box set anywhere. And I go to like three or four dollar generals. Uh, one day though, about a week later I go in and there's like three box sets for like 20 bucks up on like the top shelf. So I bought them all and then sold the rest. There you go. So yeah. Uh, yeah. $20 for. Some uh, some Garth Brooks on vinyl. I, I don't think you can beat that. Dude, not. I mean, that's that's finally something of value at a Dollar General. I was gonna say, well, the thing that really grinds my gears is I feel like to be called Dollar General, it ain't cheap. <laughs> like, they, I I went to Dollar General thinking I'd get a deal. It's like, dude, I'm, I could have well just went to Kroger. This is this is a little bit of BS. People ain't living up to the name. Yeah, well, and it's all everything smaller too, you know. That's, yeah, that's I mean that's why it. that's why people do it. So you know, more power to them, I guess. Yeah, well, I mean, it's uh, I don't even know what to say. <laughs> we we are endorsing theft from Dollar General. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. You, I you said you weren't going to say anything uh, too bold on here, and you know, I think we're we're going into that territory here. Um, you know, I'm. If I would like, if if I could be labeled as canceled, that would just, it would, it, 
it makes you think that there was ever a time I was whatever the opposite of canceled is. So that's kind of a compliment. Yeah. Like you gotta, you gotta be on, they gotta pick you up for a season two. Uh, if you're going to get canceled. So well, I would love my first controversy to be with dollar general. Yeah. On people magazine, dollar general scandal right up here. Thousand yeah. So, <laughs> um, yeah, this new EP, let's, <laughs> we'll do that weird, bold, sharp transition back to the EP. Um, yeah. Yeah. You know, Speaking like of the, cheap EP. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, you know what I was going to say is that, like, obviously you have the, the self-titled before this, but one of the things that, you know, as far as the, the difference between the first EP and this is, like, you can see, like, a, a sharp, uh, like, maturation process, I guess is what it, what we'd call it. Um, your songs feel a little bit more adult, a little bit more mature, and you, it just feels like you've... Um, you know, gone up a level, if you will, of, of writing and, and whatnot. Um, did, did you feel like there was like ever like a moment, not necessarily like if you could pinpoint to one song or something, but did you feel like there was like a a moment where you kind of went, Oh, okay. Like I'm on to something new, uh, something a little bit more what I want to sound like that I'm wanting to write about. Was there a, a, do you feel like there was like a turn or anything like that? Or just looking back? Yeah. Um, so let me, here's a little bit of insight. I appreciate you saying that. Thank you. Um, so I don't even know if I've ever said this. Let's see if I can get in trouble. Um, the, the self-titled EP, which I'm very, very proud of. Uh, I did that with Christian Bush in Atlanta and Christian's a mastermind and he really had such a strong creative direction like sense of direction and i learned so much from that whole experience but it definitely was um kind of a last minute thing and uh there was some like contractual stuff involved and at the time of recording it i wasn't even sure if that was going to be a project or an ep or whatever um so as much as i love it this slot machine syndrome is to me feels like mine a lot more. Mm. Um, and like I've been, I've been writing songs since I was 10, you know, I put out an EP myself when I was 15 that were all songs I had written by myself. And so like the, the self-titled, I love it. And I think there's some really cool sounds and, and fusion that's, on there that I'm really proud of to this day and always will be. Um, but it definitely like singing songs. Like there were a few songs on there that I, oh, all but one that I didn't write. And not that I'm against cutting other people's songs, but for me, I think I'm, I'm such a fan of songwriters and storytellers that for me personally, I just felt kind of disconnected from them. And um, so like these, you know, I had we, there's there's what five songs on this record and i had plenty more um you know i moved to town three years ago uh i think like right after we had recorded the, the self-titled and all i did was write non-stop i think and, and from this batch of songs who i am was the first song that i wrote um that's on this and i think that was kind of my moment where i just i felt super like I just felt like I didn't have control over what was going on. I felt like everyone had an opinion of what I should do and how I should do it and how to capitalize on whatever. And, you know, I was still a teenager at the time and felt immense pressure uh, to know what to do and how to do it. And, you know, I, I think like that when I wrote who I am, that was kind of the moment that I was like, Oh yeah, that this is why I do this. Like, I wrote a song kind of for myself and it felt like I put my whole life into perspective. And I mean, you know, I wrote love you tonight, not long after that. And I wrote a, a bunch of songs and, and then, you know, I, I got to everyone I co-wrote with, I was a massive fan of, uh, and getting to go into the co-writing process, knowing what the future project would and should sound like, uh, I think was very helpful. 
Yeah, like who I am definitely feels like you are making a statement and kind of, you know, shaking some cobwebs loose, if you will, or something like that, and kind of just, um, you know, breaking through onto to, you know, stepping forward or something towards a yeah. a different, you know, not necessarily a different sound, but uh, where it honestly like it, it feels like oh this as you said like it doesn't sound like you're a kid anymore, if you will. Yeah, but I, I think it was just like I I just felt so much pressure, and for like the first time in my life. There was a, I, I felt like I wasn't even enjoying what I was doing because I was just so worried about what other people thought and letting other people down and living up to expectations. And I think like shaking that loose was a huge part of my like, not to sound cringy or whatever, but my artistic growth as well as just my personal thing, you know? Mm-hmm. I, I think like it... it, it like it makes sense from like the the whole music perspective but also just where i was in life like i moved out i moved away from my hometown was out on my own for the first time ever and was away from all these things that made up who i was to myself and so that was like kind of one of the first times in my life that i had to sit with myself and take an honest look at no pun intended who i am uh and so yeah i think like I just was desperately wanting to make something that I really believed in regardless of if anyone liked it or not. And so I think that's why this, this project means a lot to me. Yeah. That's, that's so interesting right there because, you know, I I think that like, obviously you, you kind of came into uh, some limelight into like the, you're talking about this pressure, the, the pressure of kind of, a career, if you will, at such an early age where, you know, most songwriters, most singer songwriters, you know, they're not really feeling they, they, they've at, at 18, 19, they're still kind of working it out where with no one having a, a spotlight on them without like the yep. pressure of having any kind of, you know, um, any kind of management really, or any kind of like deals or anything like that. And so it's, where they 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 maybe figure themselves out a little bit more what they want to sound like who what they want to write about before all that comes and um yeah I, I can't imagine like the the pressure of 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 just being you know I'm I always think back like what what was I doing at eighteen I was just going to school and kind of being a shithead you know <laughs> I didn't really have any real like uh, pressure of of what what am I gonna record or what am I gonna do has a super huge impact of what people think of me career-wise. Yeah, yeah, man. I mean, especially, like, so many of the people that I love and admire, apart from it being because of what they make, it's, like, so much of just who they are as people and their attitudes towards music and art and stuff. And, so yeah, I think, like, I, I just got to a, a point, man, where, like, I just felt so disconnected from myself and what I was doing. And, um, yeah, it was, it was a weird, it was a weird time. Like I'm sure from an outside perspective, it should have been like the best time ever. And like, I'm, I'm certainly not, I'm very thankful for every opportunity I've ever had. And, you know, I'm not trying to sound like I'm bad mouthing anything at all. Mm -hmm. I just personally, it put me in kind of a weird spot and I had to, confront a lot of things about myself and um yeah but i mean i'm grateful for it i think like talking about you know being that young or whatever i don't i think like it it sucked in the moment but it forced me to look and think and come to the conclusion that you know this is what i want to do and this is what i stand for and this is what i'm not going to compromise yeah well I, i think like that's maybe something also that um, artists who have, you know, really, really great voices, which of course you have a really great voice. Um, Thank you, sometimes like, you know, people can dismiss the songwriting aspect or kind of like, you know, push you, push people into cutting other songs. Um, which I, again, like, I don't, I don't knock anyone doing that either. Cause I mean, George Strait, look at his career. Um, yeah, absolutely. but you know, if, if you do have that itch to write, you know, and, 
that's what you you want to be. I guess like you don't want to just have the identity of being the singer or the artist. You want that songwriter part too because if it, if it's something that moves you, you know what I mean. And yeah, sometimes you can, you know, it can feel like maybe there that 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 gets stunted, if you will, if uh, if if you're not really being, um, you know, encouraged to go in that direction as well. Yeah, yeah, I, I think I'm just. Uh... I, I realized that it's more important for me to like feel like I'm making something authentic and being honest and making stuff that's honest and that I'm proud of than anything else. You know, like I would rather be unsuccessful making things I'm proud of than be super successful making stuff that I hate. Mm-hmm. And that's just me personally. Uh, Cause like all my, all my heroes, you know, plenty of them are dead and gone and they still, you know, I still feel the effect of the stuff they made to this day, you know, and I know like music genuinely saved my life many, many times. I know that's a cliche, but it's, it's true. And so I just think like what, what we're doing, what we're doing matters more than trying to climb a chart or, you know, trying to make a bunch of money. Yeah. Well, it's, as you if, as you said, like kind of your, your, a lot of your, uh, songwriting heroes, your artistic heroes, they may be dead and gone, but like the music still is around, which in, in turn yeah. makes you go, well, you know what? Like, uh, in 15 years, the music's still going to be here 20 years, 30 years, 40 years. If yeah. the music's still around and it's still, it transcends the time and place, if you will. Yeah. What did you uh what I guess like with with the title track slot machine syndrome that that mm-hmm. imagery is such an interesting um it, it's it's because it, it obviously it's not like you know something I've I don't think anyone's really ever heard before but it feels yeah. it's intriguing when you just hear it well when did that kind of come to you as as kind of like a, an idea Yeah so I was having a conversation with a friend of mine probably a week before I, I wrote with Brent and he was talking about a uh, relationship that he had just gotten out of. And we're sort of talking about our shared experiences with that kind of stuff. And, um, he said slot machine syndrome. He's like, well, you know, you just, you put so much into something and you, you that you think like the more you put in, like eventually you'll get like this huge payoff. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you kind of drain in yourself and I just like number one I just thought wow what a cool phrase I've never heard the term slot machine syndrome before um and but number two I just thought it was really like applicable to a lot of stuff I've seen in in my life I mean I had uh you know a lot of a lot of friends and family and friends of family that fell victim to abuse and, you know, addictions and all kinds of stuff. And, you know, it's, it's definitely like a pattern. And, uh, I, you know, I, I had some, some sort of extra deeply personal stuff that's gone on in my life that, you know, I relate it to and stuff that's gone on with family and whatnot. Um, but yeah, I just, I thought like, man, I've never heard anyone sing about that kind of thing and certainly never heard anyone who can't grow a beard sing about that kind of thing. Um, so yeah, I mean, it was just, I just, I just thought like, wow, that's a cool phrase. And I think, I think I have someone like me should write a song that's like that. Yeah. Well, that's the, it's obviously like, I, you know, there's a thousand songs about gambling and that kind of yeah. form of diction and that kind of imagery. But like, again, like the slot machine, I don't think like there's really, you know, there's not too many songs that are talking about in, in that relation to, to gambling and yeah. feeding the, those coins in. And yet it's, you know, still the, yeah. the same kind of the thing, the same thing. It's a cautionary tale, you know, and that, cause that's another big part of it. It's like, I, I really think that anyone can find something that makes them feel better and you know if you're if you get addicted and that's whether that's a relationship or drugs or alcohol or whatever 
Like if you find that one thing that you think makes you feel on top of the world, better men than I have ruined their whole lives and ruined their families' lives over that. You know, and and it's so that's like the the end of the second verse. Um, you know, if you don't think it's true and it can't happen to you, they'll say you got it. That type of thing. Like, cause I, I didn't want it to come across as I think I'm like above anybody or like, Oh, these people that I've seen, you know, live bad lives. I'm so much better than them. And in fact, I'm saying the opposite. Like any of us are capable of ruining our lives and everyone around us lives. Yeah. That's the, you know, the, it's, it's the thing with, with addiction of, um, you know, like that first step is kind of admitting that you do have the problem. And if you, yeah. if you kind of do that whole thing where this can't happen to me, I mean, like you're, you know, the yeah. denial, you know, it's, it's something. Yeah, like man. So, yeah, I, I, don't, I just thought like the, the imagery of that. Oh, go ahead. What was that? I just, I think, I think people tend to sort of think they're above it. You know, yeah. that like addicts, gross, dirty people. I'm not that. I just, I just do this. Yeah. That's the, you know, not to necessarily go too far into this, but like my, my stepdad is a, a counselor and he always talks about how, you know, you'll, sometimes he's been at like, you know, uh, these rehabs where these people go in who think that the only problem they have is, oh, I, you know, I kind of did this on the side and I'm only here because, you know, a, a court order and I can probably finish this up and then still drink on the weekends or something like that. And typically like that's, you know, not the way you should be looking at it. You know, that's not the way, um, that's like really, again, like the denial aspect of like, you know, I'm an addict, but I'm not that kind of addict or whatever the case. And yeah. it's kind of the, yeah, it's a slippery slope. And it's like also the, the whole judging aspect of, uh, you know, glass, uh, glass houses and what yeah. and throwing rocks. So, yeah. Yeah, man. I think like, I think the the thing that makes it kind of unique for me, um, and like that, it's nothing nothing crazy. It's not like it's not like my immediate family had some horrific thing, but I I definitely had experienced some things and it felt like let down by people that I loved and respected, and I think I fell into that thinking way way less of them because I was just so disappointed, and so like I think writing it kind of enabled me to see that perspective a little bit and in turn kind of helped me you know forgive because i think like i say i think in order to really forgive someone you kind of have to be able to recognize your own capacity to like do evil and do bad mm, yeah you know because if you think you're so above somebody it's kind of hard to empathize yeah exactly and that's the that's honestly like one of the things that I often think about when, when it comes to songwriting is, you know, I think all of our favorite songwriters, like maybe like their best skill was always empathy uh, and understanding yeah. other people's perspectives and just taking Honesty. like that glimpse into other people, like the reason why people do certain things and not necessarily judging them as a bad person or, or a horrible person just because of a, of something that maybe, is uncontrollable for them. Maybe something that they actually have, uh, they do have control over, but it's still, it takes yeah. a, a second to like just empathize with that person and figure out maybe why there's something deeper in there. Yeah. I, yeah. I think, I think doing that, you know, is helpful for your own self. You know, if you're, mm -hmm. if you're able to do that for other people, it's a lot easier to be honest with yourself about who you are apart from all that, you know? I think like from a, a writer's perspective, I've always just been really attracted to writers that are super honest. And like I, I wrote, I wrote who I am like almost immediately after listening to uh, living proof by Hank jr. Cause I just thought like, wow, this, this dude was young and feeling pressure. Like the whole song is about feeling pressure and people measuring him up to his daddy and measuring him up to this. And, um, and that's that, like that's what inspired that song really because i was just like how cool is that and like obviously i'm not the son of hank williams but i was listening to it and really like resonating with it yeah yeah that's that's such a man that right there as far as like being hank jr 
like just the, the, like so many people's um you know opinion of you is you know your yeah. father and like th- th- i bet like there's so many identity issues that like he's gone yeah. through as far as you know trying to figure out you know how to how do you you know <laughs> do i change my name do i like how much do i yeah. how do i like uh, he was like one of the first child stars mm-hmm. you know like no one had there wasn't Justin Bieber. Like he was, he was one of the first people to be, he was brought up famous. They were dressing him up like his daddy, you know, when he was a kid. And I can't, I can't imagine. I was 18 going, Oh, people have expectations of me. This feels weird. Yeah. Like I can't, I can't imagine how that dude felt. And I think like the, the fact that he was able to, you know, be so honest and upfront about it and, you know, completely change his sound and in my opinion, like revolutionized the genre in a lot of ways. Uh, super admirable. Yeah. Because it has to be like such a mixed feeling of, you know, wanting to honor legacy and family name and all that kind of stuff. But, mm-hmm. you know, also like, Hey, I'm my own individual self too. Yeah. It's yeah. It's such a, a complex, uh, you know, thing that, he probably has gone through obviously his entire life, but I'm sure like there's obviously there's plenty of other folks who have had yeah. famous parents. And, uh, I mean, like you imagine being like the son of Michael Jordan, you know? <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, and I think like it's, you know, in a, in a way I've felt this, but to me, if, if you're like, if you're that and you're feeling, feeling down or feeling pressure about it, you have to kind of feel guilty for feeling bad. Because, you know, it's like, well, from an outside perspective, that person's got all the everything going for them. Like, they got this legacy behind them. They got people are interested in them because of this. So they, you know, they don't have a right to complain or, or feel bad that they, you know, got that pressure. Like, that's a that's a gift, mm-hmm. which in some ways is true. But, in, you know, it's a, it's a double-edged sword. Yeah, absolutely. Um, for you, obviously, you just mentioned how you, you know, moving to Nashville and, mm. you know, that obviously, like, I, I'm one of these people who thinks that, you know, you may not necessarily like all the music that's coming out of Nashville, but all the, the great songwriters are in that town. And if they don't live there, they're visiting a whole bunch. And um, yeah. it's that whole iron sharpens iron aspect of it. Do you, How much Absolutely. do you feel like, you know, just um, how much, I guess, um, how much of your opinion changed? once you started getting into these co-writing situations and songwriting groups where you went, Oh, this was my uh, opinion on what was, what was, this is what I thought was happening here. And then this is actually what it looks like on the, the inside, if you will. Yeah. Well, you know, I think, um, I think all my preconceived notions, some of them were validated. Like Mm -hmm. I, there was, I had, I mean, like, look, I was the, I found Sturgill Simpson when I was 16 and I was like, Oh, I have, I know the secret to music and all these other people, you know, they don't get it. And so like, I, I, I had like this idea of like, you know, all these pop country guys that, you know, they just write the same song over and over again. Um, but like, I think moving to town and writing with people who have had very successful songs recently, like number one, there is good music on the radio. Uh, and it's definitely given me like a newfound appreciation for more quote unquote mainstream country. Um, but yeah, there, I had this idea in my head that like these people must just hate what they're doing. And there's a, I mean, plenty, I've met a lot of people who are great writers, who write songs that aren't necessarily my cup of tea, mm-hmm. but it's like, they're, they're incredible writers. They have really cool ideas. And there's also a lot of people who write, you know, sway one particular side of country that are able to write songs like with me, you know, and and I think almost because they haven't been writing as much like quote unquote alt country or traditional country or whatever you want to call it. Um, you know, they have a lot of ideas and they're excited about that. And I mean, I've written a lot of songs that are more like pop country that I'm really excited about and that I think are cool. So I, I think definitely I've just kind of not, um, uh, I, I broke down a lot of that, like, Oh, I'm, I'm too cool for this type stuff, you know? Yeah. That's the, I think, you know, obviously growing up here in Texas, 
we've always had this like, you know, this idea that Texas versus Nashville and in yeah. a lot of ways, like I think like that, any kind of like beef, any kind of like rivalry in that way, it's, it's one to like drive up sales. I think it's probably good for everyone as far as sales goes, but you know, th- th- it's not really a thing um, that, that the artists ever think about. And um, it's only like a fan kind of deal, but um, I, I always kind of say and challenge people like the people who you think are writing bad songs, quote unquote, in Nashville, you know, they're still talented songwriters. It's just like maybe you don't like what they're the subject matter or anything like that. There's, there's still stuff like on the, the radio or by artists that, you know, I'm not putting on every day. But, like, yeah. you'll hear a song and you go, oh, well, that was a pretty good line there. Or, like, the, you know, the alliteration right there was pretty damn good. Or whatever the case. Or this is fucking catchier than shit. <laughs> like, there's no yeah. way to avoid I, it. Yeah, I, th- I think, like, um, kind of learning the uh, the songwriter perspective, too, gives you a different lens to view mm-hmm. a song from, you know, not just as a listener of, like, what, what makes me tap my toe, but, like, the actual art form of it. Um, yeah, I, I think every anything that happens, uh, you know, and it's helping people and exciting people and making them care about music and go see live shows and buy records, I think is awesome. What's kind of like your your week as far as like if when you're writing, do you are you kind of one of these guys who tries to write as much as possible? Or are you kind of more on a schedule or what's kind of like your typical go to as far as not necessarily you got to hit a quota or something like that, but. Yeah. Kind of like your 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 typical output, if you will. For a long time, I tried to like designate a certain amount of time to writing a day, uh, which I had a lot of cool stuff come from that. Now I more so just take the approach of writing. If I have an idea throughout the day, I'll jot it down. And then I would say probably now only two or three times a week, I'll sit down and try to, you know, iron it out. But at this point too, I just have like, I got so many songs and so many half written songs. Like I got, I got no shortage of material. Uh, but yeah, I think writing and writing is just good for me. Like it just, it's really, you know, therapy costs money. You can write songs for free. Yeah. (laughs) And if you don't want to show them to anyone, they don't have to be good. Yeah, well, how much do you feel, because I feel like this is probably a big thing, um, we always kind of think of writing as, like, just you sitting down with the, the pen and the guitar, and, and that's the writing part. How much of it, though, is, like, you do get that idea, you jot it down, and then it just kind of stays with you the rest of the day or the rest of the week? How much of that happens where it's just kind of in the back of your mind? You may be on autopilot doing other stuff, but you're kind of working that song out before you actually put it to paper. Yeah, I think I think just knowing knowing where you're gonna with any like story, knowing where you're gonna begin and where you're gonna end, filling it out is so much easier. Uh, so I think like the more the more conceptualized the idea, probably the easier it's gonna be written. But I'll, I mean, I also know a lot of people that are way more meticulous. Like I, I'm I'm very much like um, however it comes out. If it doesn't strike me as weird, I just want it to be as, as much in my voice as possible. And uh, some people are like very, you know, every every syllable has to like mathematically be the same and this and that. And um, yeah, I think I'm just I'm just saying stuff over chords, you know, mm-hmm. like which you know that's that's uh, that's country music, baby. Yeah. There, okay. Here's a quick little story for you. There's a uh... Uh, one of my favorite artists of all time is uh, a guy from here from Lubbock named Terry Allen. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, he, he wrote Amarillo highway for, if you, if you know that yeah. song. And, uh, um, yeah. so he put out a record called Lubbock on everything back in 79. It's a double record. And he had moved out to California and was moving back or like it wanted to cut the record in Lubbock. And, um, so he, he finds that a place to, to, to cut the record uh, in this place called Caldwell Studios here in town. And at the time, the, the lead, the head producer, the, the lead engineer was Lloyd Maines, who, of course, you know, great pedal steel player and producer mm-hmm. here in Texas. And 
uh, dad of Natalie Maines. And so he's showing, Terry's showing the songs to Lloyd and, and the, the rest of the band who are all like Maines brothers. And uh, I guess like Terry, Terry's also a piano player. That's what he plays on. So he's sitting at this piano and he's playing this song and it, it's a little different every time as far as the, the counting goes, as far as the, the four measures or whatever. So yeah. Lloyd is trying to teach Terry, like you're, 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 you keep on being off and he's trying to te- teach him the time. And Terry yeah. turns to Lloyd and says, Lloyd, it's music, not algebra. Yeah. And sometimes that like, that's just necessary. necessary <laughs> to keep yeah. In mind. I, I think both approaches can work, but you know, if you're, if you're the guy, if you're making the art, you know, which one's supposed to work. Yeah. <laughs> and I think like that's the, the kind of the thing right there is far as like Lloyd being that technical mind and Terry being the, you know, just the, the artistic mind, they both kind of rubbed off on one another as their careers went on. So like, it's, it's a little, yeah. a little bit balance of both, you know? So. Yeah. And it goes back to, you know, what you're saying, iron sharpens iron. And they're like, I've been, being around people who think about music differently than me. It's always been a good thing because I'll either go, I like what they're doing. I'm going to borrow some of that or maybe like do that if I ever have an idea like this. Or I go, wow, they are stupid and I hate what they're doing. <laughs> and I'll, I will never do that. Yeah. <laughs> That's the, you know, when, when people always ask like what your influences is, I always think like, well, it's, it's probably like everything because even the stuff you don't like, <laughs> you know, at least that I don't want to do that. Yeah. <laughs> One of my, one of my, and I'm sure this is like a quote, but I remember um, when Christian Bush, you know, when we did that self-titled, the song "Left of Me" that's on there, that's the only song on the record that like I wrote, and it was really the only song at the time that I was proud enough of to like show this dude who has all these, you know, CMAs and Grammys on his shelf, and uh, I like was playing it to him and. He liked, he liked the song and liked how it was written and everything. He told me, you know, good writers write and great writers steal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, it's so true, man. Like, and what's great for me is like, I listen to so much the country that I just rip off all the time that no one will ever be able to piece together because <laughs> my music taste is so psychotic. So, yeah, man, I, I think like just ripping off enough things to call it your own is the key. Yeah, exactly. It's the, it's why like every, I'm sure like it's even at a more rapid pace than this, but every like six months or so you'll hear a song and you'll go like, that's uh, a John Fogarty song or like that's a Tom Petty (laughs) song. And like, it's obviously not, but like, that's like the, every riff you hear, you're kind of going, man, that, that's like a, you know, uh, a Tom Petty song right there. I've heard that before. Yeah. Yeah, man. Well, you know, it's, I think too in country, it's like you hear so many people say like, oh, we want more traditional sounding country. And then you give them a traditional sound country song. They're like, well, this is just a Merle Haggard ripoff. <laughs> it's like, dude, you want traditional country. Like if it's, if it sounds like you're ripping off Merle Haggard or George Jones, you probably just did a great job. <laughs> yeah. And then also like, let's obviously like Merle or, you know, Willie Nelson or, Johnny Cash, they all had like 50 records too. So like, yeah, <laughs> they, they, and they all covered all the, they covered all like, you know, all the territory up. Yeah, man. They, I mean, there's a, you know, don't cuss the fiddle and they're all stealing each other's songs. Exactly. So, yeah. <laughs> What's your, uh, I guess your plans going forward. Are you, you thinking of hitting the road anytime soon and, and kind of going out more? Yeah, man. Well, you know, I just uh, I just got off a little tour with uh, Vincent Neil Emerson, oh, of Vincent, who I'm. Yeah. I love that dude. Uh, I think he's he's the guy, and I think more and more people are gonna are gonna see it and realize it. Like he's so stinking good. Um, but yeah, we just we just did like a whole southeast thing. Uh, we got a couple shows in Texas next month, um, playing in San Antonio and Austin and. Yeah, man, very excited about all that. And, but yeah, I think moving forward, you know, there's some conversations to be had and 
I'll have to probably rob a couple of banks, but you know, I want to definitely like, I have enough songs for a full length record and I've, I've got like three albums that I'm already writing. So man, just kind of dialing in and figuring out, you know, what I want to, what I want to put out next. But I think like, this is the most excited I've ever been to make music. Um, Cause I really, I'm really so proud of slot machine syndrome and like, it makes me feel excited to have something I'm proud of and, and feel is worthy of building off of and improving. Yeah, absolutely. That's the, if it's one thing I've learned talking with musicians and stuff is that, you know, once a project's out, like you guys are already on to the next thing or in your case, the next three things, but you know, yeah, it's man. always like this weird balance yeah. of, of here's this new thing out and I, we're going to be playing these songs, but I'm already on to like the next thing. Let's, let's get on to it. I'm already kind of not necessarily tired of it, but you know, I'm, I'm no, definitely a little tired of it. Yeah. I get, I get sick of myself quick. And <laughs> like we, we recorded slot machine syndrome like last August. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you know, we, we had it in the vault for a minute and even now I'm like, Oh, I sound so young. I'm ready to do the next thing. But I also like, I've had that discussion with, you know, people who are way better artists than me, I think like, probably a, a good sign, you know, because if I was sitting around going like, yep, I've done it. I've made the perfect record. And I guess I would just need to quit. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's also like you, you've been around plenty of people who that last song they wrote was like, is like that this is the best thing I've ever done. And like, it's yeah. always that the last song you did is like what you're most excited about, you know? So yeah. It's, 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 part of the thing absolutely yeah vincent neil emerson though yeah he's uh seen him a couple times out here and obviously being from texas and that new record of his is if if y'all haven't checked it out just yet be sure to check that out as well oh yeah dude that 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 record's incredible he's and his instagram's hilarious and he's uh he's just a great dude he really is but yeah his self-titled record's incredible and his uh the one before that the mm-hmm. fried chicken and people women yeah yeah it's uh what a title you, you think slot machine syndrome's <laughs> a decent title fried chicken and evil women yeah he uh the first i heard of him i was sent a, his first record i can't remember exactly what it's called but it was before all it, it's it's offline now it's off print i guess but he he yeah. still had that song 7 come 11 back then yeah. and that song right there like it's just hauntingly beautiful in this like towns van zant kind of tradition it just amazing yeah man. absolutely I, uh, yeah that was what was cool like having plenty of conversations with him about like towns van zant and blaze foley and got clark like it's it's cool when you know like obviously like it's you know he's, he's not like a lot older than me or anything like that but you know, like I've I've listened to his music for a while, and it's cool to meet people and be like, "Oh, they love the same stuff I love." Like the, maybe maybe it all makes sense. But also, like there's the there's the Texas connection because I'm not from Texas, but everyone thinks I am <laughs> because I'm from Dallas. Like I can I've I've had experiences where I've told people, "Yeah, I'm from Dallas, Georgia," and they're like, "Oh yeah, Texas." <laughs> so you know, yeah. I just claim both. Sure, I'll take it. That works, man. You can just uh, be from both places. <laughs> the East Texas and West Georgia look alarmingly the same. That's what I've found. So yeah. I'll take it. Yeah, just uh, just yeah, just say you're from East Texas. I'll double dip. A little little further than than people realize, but yeah. <laughs> I'm on the West Georgia side of Texas. There you go, man. For it, sure. You know, it's been really really great talking with you this afternoon. Yeah. Man, I appreciate it, and I also wanted to uh, to thank you for your tweet, man. It really it really meant a lot to me. Yeah, of course, man. I, I, again, like uh, if you're if you're talking about the one with the the old, you know, if you like Tristan Marez and Randall King, yeah, and these dudes, yeah, Cody Johnson, I, I honestly believe that, man. Doing some good thank things. Thank you. And, um, I appreciate. It. Hopefully, it got you a couple more people tuning in. Yeah, man. Well, buddy, I, I appreciate it. I appreciate the support. And can't wait to let you down. <laughs>Okay, that is it for episode 204. Be sure to check out Slot Machine Syndrome 
the latest EP by Caleb Lee Hutchinson. Go check out our partners over at the Blue Light Live and Desert Door. Stop on over at the New Slang Merch Store and get yourself a copy of The Lubbock Way. That's my debut book just out earlier this year. Subscribe and share with your buddies if you enjoyed New Slang. And yeah, I'll see y'all later in the week for another episode.